Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey. When we begin to see the visible verbal followers of Christ infiltrate the culture and not just infiltrate the church, then we will see what the authority of Christ can do until he decides to come in managing the conflict, even though we won't eradicate it until he comes. Well, that's wisdom from Dr. Tony Evans, and he'll share more today on Focus on the Family. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. Uh, John, Tony is a dear friend, and he visited our campus recently and gave an incredible presentation to our staff that we're going to share with you today. And let me tell you, this message will inspire you. Uh, Hopefully, your walk with Jesus will be improved. It's based on a new book Tony has published with Focus on the Family called Kingdom Focus, Rethinking Today in Light of Eternity. And I'd strongly encourage you to get a copy. Tony does an excellent job of explaining our responsibility to be salt and light in our current culture. You can discover more about Kingdom Focus by Dr. Tony Evans when you call 800-A-FAMILY or visit focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Let me mention Tony is the senior pastor of Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas, and he's the president of the Urban Alternative Teaching Ministry and is a former chaplain to the Dallas Cowboys. Here now is Dr. Tony Evans on today's Focus on the Family. I've spent a lot of time around the NFL. I was chaplain for the Cowboys for five years, and my son played in the NFL for a number of years. And uh, so football is my favorite sport. Whenever you have a football game, you have three teams. Three teams are always on the field. First of all, there are two teams in conflict, the home team and the visiting team. And that means you have a three-hour clash. For three hours, these teams are not going to get along because they're headed in two different directions. They have different goals that they're going to. And there's no negotiation that's going to make them cooperate with each other because that's not the nature of the gridiron. But in the midst of this conflict is a third team. These are seven officials. These seven officials are on the field, but they're not of the field. They're in the middle of the conflict, but they're not part of the conflict. You see, they belong to 345 Park Avenue in New York, where the NFL offices are. The NFL office dispenses these officials to each of the NFL games, and they are the referees to bring order to a conflicting situation. These officials are very distinguishable black and white jerseys. They are uniquely present, and you know who they are. They're not camouflaged. They are obvious. Each of these officials are handed a book. This book gives the governing guidelines by which all decisions are to be made on the field of play. Their personal opinions must be subject to that book. Their preferences between the two teams is irrelevant. Their decisions have to be based on that book. Now, they know sometimes they're going to be booed. They know sometimes they're going to be cheered. But they also know they're not there for a popularity contest. They're there to make judgments on the field in the middle of a conflict based on the book that they've received 
from 345 Park Avenue the abiding entity for their existence. They are representatives from a kingdom up north to a Cade house down south. When Jesus Christ arose from the dead, he called a meeting. Three groups were invited to this meeting. According to Matthew chapter 28, verse 16, it says the 11 disciples were invited to meet Jesus in the mountain that he had designated. This is the only meeting he ever called that was scheduled prior to his ascension during the 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension to glory. There's a second group that met with him that day. According to 1 Corinthians 15, it says 500 brethren met at one time to meet with him. So in order for 500 to meet with him at one time, that means it was a scheduled meeting. So the 11 met, the 500 met, the 11 are part of the 500. That'll net us 489. There's a third group that meets. Because according to Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, lo, I will be with you even until the end of the age. Well, the age has not ended yet. So you and I are at the meeting. So why don't we all mosey on up to the meeting where the risen Christ has invited us to find out what the meeting is all about and why the meeting matters. We're told in verse 17 that when they gathered at the mountain, they began with worship. They worshiped him. We're also told that some doubted. They doubted, but they were still there. They had question marks. Things seemed confusing to them, but they still showed up for the service. They sang their songs, they prayed their prayers, and they worshiped him. And then it became time for the sermon. Verse 18 tells us in Matthew 28 that Jesus comes to the podium and he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Translation, I'm in charge now. I'm not only in charge in the sweet by and by heaven, I'm also in charge in the nasty here and now, earth. I'm in charge now. The word he used for authority is an interesting word. The main word for authority used in the New Testament is dunamis, where we get our English word dynamite from. But that's not the word he used. He used the Greek word ekousia. And ekousia means authority in legitimate hands. It's the difference between a policeman having a gun and a criminal having a gun. The policeman has the badge. It has to do with the right to exercise power. He says, all authority has been given unto me. On a football field, the players are younger, stronger, and faster. The refs are older, slower, and fatter. <laughs> the players can knock you down. The refs can put you out because they have authority. They have a yellow flag and a whistle. And that has granted them ecousia, even though they're outnumbered. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me up there and down here because he is the link between the two. Fully God, fully man, the hypostatic union, two natures in one person unmixed forever. He stands before the crowd then and the crowd now and he ushers an imperative 
He says, I want you to make disciples. I want you to create an officiating crew in the chaos of the culture. And I want it to have national implications, make disciples of the nations. I want you to infiltrate the societies of mankind. And I want this group of officials to be known as disciples. Visible, verbal followers of Christ who takes the framing from heaven and introduces it to the chaos of culture. Who download from eternity and introduce it in time. Who are not so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good, but they're not so earthly minded that they're no heavenly good because like their master, they married the two. He calls them disciples. When people order tapes, CDs from our national ministry, the way that works is I will preach a message on Sunday morning at the church. It is recorded. When it is recorded, then it is taken over the master to our national office, the Urban Alternative, where it's placed on a master duplicator. Plugged into the master duplicator are slave units. The slave units run off 16 copies at a time. So hundreds are sent out to people who have ordered the message across the nation and various parts of the world, and they get a copy of the master. Now, they don't get the master because there's only one master, but the copy of the master is so much like the master, you could confuse it for the master because it's a replication of the master. There's only one master, but we're supposed to be replicators of the master so that when people see the copies, it looks so much like the master. The disciple is the man, the woman, the Christian who has decided to not be a secret agent Christian or a spiritual CIA representative. They are CIA Christians in action. They represent heaven in history and they do it on a broad scale for they affect and infect not only individuals but the environment in which they live, the nations. To pull that off, he says, with three participles, you must go baptize and teach. In Greek construct, whenever you have an imperative, and you have participles, the participles are the methodology for implementing the imperative. The imperative is make disciples, the three participles, going, baptizing, teaching. First of all, he says go. You can study go in Hebrew, Greek, Ugaritic, Aramaic, and go means go. <laughs> means don't stay. It is a statement about our public witness. You've gathered up here on the mountain with me, but now it's time to go. It's time to leave the convenience of my physical presence and disperse so that now my presence is being felt everywhere because my people are scattered everywhere. He says, I want you to go. A meeting like this is like a huddle in a football game. 100,000 people don't pay $100 a ticket to watch 11 men bend over in a huddle. They want to see what difference the huddle makes. They want to know, having huddled, can you now score? They want to know what you're going to do about 11 of the men on the other side of the ball daring you to go public with your private conversation. The challenge today is to have a generation of Christians who are public 
about their allegiance to Jesus Christ. A lawyer who's not just a lawyer, but God's representative in the Bar Association, so the Bar Association gets to see what God looks like when God tries a case. A doctor who's not just a doctor, but who's God's representative in the medical field, so the medical field sees what God looks like when God helps the hurting. A teacher who's not just a teacher, but God's representative in the classroom, so the classroom sees what happens when God teaches truth. We call them a kingdom representatives. People who reflect heaven's values in history and don't get co-opted by the culture because they go. We're featuring Dr. Tony Evans today on Focus on the Family, and you can find more of his great insight in the book Kingdom Focus, Rethinking Today in Light of Eternity. We'll send that to you when you make a donation of any amount to the ministry today, and we'll include a free audio download of his entire presentation. Donate and request those resources at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast or when you call 800, the letter A in the word family. We'll be right back after this. After four abortions, Destara finally learned the truth. I heard it from Focus on the Family and they were talking about pro-life being a baby, a human being in your stomach and I was like, wow, that, that's pro-life. I'm Jim Daly. Together we can rescue pre-born babies and their moms, giving families hope. Donate at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash family, and your gift will be doubled. Feel that nip in the air? It's time to put on fuzzy socks, drink some hot cocoa, and decorate your home with a new season of Focus on the Family's Christmas Stories podcast. This year, we'll talk about the Nativity story in the Gospel of Luke. Join us as we chat about how Christ's birth inspires us, how we celebrate the season, and ways we find that childlike wonder again. Listen to the Christmas Stories podcast on your favorite podcast app. And welcome back to Focus on the Family as we return now to the presentation from Dr. Tony Evans. He says, baptize them. The Greek word baptizo was very interesting in New Testament days. It was used of a dye maker. The dye maker, if a mother wanted to make her daughter a purple dress, the dye maker would mix purple dye, take the cloth that she brought him, dip it in the purple dye, take off the extraneous coloring, hang it up, let it dry, give it back to the mother because now it was colored purple. So you could make a daughter a purple dress. It was to immerse in order to classify or identify. That word then is again taken by Jesus Christ to refer to the new identity that believers are to have. That you and I are to be Christians first. Everything else becomes a subset. You're not first a black Christian or white Christian because then you make black and white an adjective. You make Christian a noun. The job of the adjective is to modify the noun. So if you've got Christian in the noun position, you've got color in the adjectival position. You've got to keep changing the noun of your Christianity to fit the adjectival description of color. The adjective must always be Christianity in the adjectival position. Color or culture must always be in the noun position because if anything changes, it has to be the noun of your humanity and not the adjective of your faith. Our identity. Our identity is not first to be Democrat or Republican since God doesn't ride the backs of donkeys or elephants. Our identity first and foremost is to be visible verbal followers of Jesus Christ. 
Paul says, I'm identified with Christ. I'm crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, as Christ who lives in me, the life which I now live. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The greatest verse in the New Testament on identity is not some isolated verse. It is Paul quoting that to Peter who made an illegitimate racial decision that needed to be corrected. Peter, you have forgotten who you are. You are a representative of heaven. He says, you are to be identified, baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. You are to be trinitized. You are now representatives of the triune God. And that is your new identity. Everything else must adjust to that. But because Christians have become platonic, they can be spiritual on Sunday and go secular on Monday. Because they don't understand that when it comes to Jesus' authority, it's all authority. There's no such thing as secular. Because everything gets stamped by your new identity. Then he says, teach them. Third participle. What do you teach them? Pneumatology, ecclesiology, eschatology, angelology, anthropology, homartiology? No, he says, you teach them how to live, to observe. You teach them application, not only information. Don't just give them Bible studies, small groups, and sermons on Sunday. You give them implementation and application so that there's transformation. You teach them to observe whatever I have commanded you. Let's say you have to have a major surgery, a life and death surgery. The doctor comes in. He said, let me explain what we're going to do in the surgery tomorrow. He goes through all the idiosyncratic elements of the surgery. You are asked by him, do you have any questions? Your first question is, doc, how many times have you done this? He says, well, you're going to be my first. But don't worry, I made an A in heart class. I graduated magna cum laude. I mean, I, so I, I know the information. Well, I don't know about you, but I have a second question. First is, how many times have you done this? Second is, how are them people doing? Because even if you've done it a lot, if they didn't make it, you still don't get to operate on me. Because I don't just want to know your information and your grade level. I want to know your skill set. I want to know how you function, not just what you know. And what we're missing today are Christians who are kingdom functioning. Everything is to be kingdomized. Everything is to come under the jurisdiction of divine rule, which is the only theme in the Bible, by the way. The glory of God through the advancement of his kingdom. Everything in the Bible is toward that one subject. His glory through the expansion of his kingdom, the jurisdiction of divine rule. So I want you to teach them and these representatives of me, we are going to call them disciples. And then he concludes and he says, and lo, I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. Now, you don't see it in English, but in the Greek text, the word I is written twice. It's called the ego I me construction. So literally it reads, I, even I will be with you always. That verse is saying, if you are a disciple and if you're making disciples, I'm hanging out with you. 
See, what you have to understand is Jesus doesn't have equal relationship with all Christians. All Christians are equally saved, but not all Christians are equally intimate. Not all Christians have equal authority. That's why in John chapter 2, verses 23 to 25, it says many believed in him, many got saved, but he would not commit himself to them because he knew what was in them. They weren't all in yet. So just because you're on your way to heaven doesn't mean you're any good for him on earth. Until we raise up a generation of Christians who understand you've been called to become a visible, verbal, full-time follower, not part-time saint. Until we raise up a group of people who understand that you're part of the officiating crew. You've been placed in the middle of the political crisis, in the middle of the racial crisis, in the middle of the all of the conflicts that are raging around us and now you are my representatives and I will give you my authority if I see you're serious about me. So why are we not seeing Christians throwing down flags and blowing whistles and teams responding? Because the executive doesn't trust his crew. Whether they're going to do a Benedict Arnold on him in order to be safe and satisfied with the culture rather than the authority of the Christ. When we begin to see the visible verbal followers of Christ infiltrate the culture and not just infiltrate the church, then we will see what the authority of Christ can do until he decides to come in managing the conflict even though we won't eradicate it until he comes. You know, you can look good as a bowler, you know, especially today, you got bowling pants, bowling shirts, bowling gloves, fancy bowling bags, bowling balls, roll it down the bowling alley, you kick your leg out. You can look absolutely impeccable as a bowler, but just in case you didn't know it, if that ball is rolling down the gutter, you're a good looking failure. Because the test of Ebola is their impact, not their look. The test of a serious disciple is what kind of impact do you have? Not how Christian do you appear? A young man one day, he got married. They were on their way to their honeymoon. To get to their hotel, they had to pass down a lonely road in the country. It was foggy outside. And the truck in front of him, the 18-wheeler, was going a little slow. He wanted to pass it. So he pulls out to pass it. But he didn't see the oncoming van. There's a head-on collision that flipped his car up into the side of the road. Both he and his new bride were knocked unconscious. He was the first one to come to. He looked over to the passenger side and his new bride was gushing with blood. He knew that if he didn't find help soon, she would bleed out and die. But as fortune would have it, right above the accident on the hill was a sign that said Office of Dr. Bill Jones. How fortunate could it be that this accident happened in front of a doctor's office? 
He went around to the passenger side, picked up his beloved, stumbled up the hill, knocked on the door. An old man came to the door, said, what can I do for you? He said, help. She's dying. Save her. The man looked at him and said, I'm so sorry, son. I stopped practicing many years ago. To which the young man said, Mr., you have two choices. Save her or take down your sign. But don't have a sign that gives me the impression that if I show up at your doorstep, you have answers for my calamity because you are deceiving me. We have two choices. Either practice what it means to be a full-time, visible, verbal or follower of Christ or at least take down your sign so you're not fooling anybody. We have a world gushing with blood cataclysmic confusion of identity it's time when they show up at our door they find out we don't just have a sign we still practice god bless you Such an inspirational message from Dr. Tony Evans at a recent Focus on the Family staff gathering. What a great reminder that it's not enough just to know about Christianity. We need to get out there and do Christianity. As Tony said, Jesus himself instructed us in what we call the Great Commission, to go out and make disciples of all nations. And that's right there in the New Testament, Matthew 28, starting at verse 16. I challenge you to go read that and imagine that Jesus is talking directly to you. Uh, the world keeps us very distracted with work and family responsibilities, not to mention all the, the media that we consume, but we need to remember the priorities that Jesus set for us and not neglect that commission he gave us. And if you enjoyed today's message, uh, you found it inspiring and encouraging, you'll definitely want to get a copy of Tony's latest book, published by Focus on the Family. It's called Kingdom Focus, Rethinking Today in Light of Eternity. We'd be happy to send a copy to you for a donation of any amount to the ministry of Focus on the Family, and we'll include a free audio download of today's presentation. And right now, John, we have some special friends of the ministry who are offering to double people's gifts, dollar for dollar, so that your donation will have twice the impact. So join us in ministry as we bring the hope of Christ to families who need it. Get in touch with us today. Yeah, and our number is 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459. Or you can donate online and request that book, Kingdom Focus, at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. You're listening to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break here and then return with another faith-building program for your family. Stay tuned. Your marriage can be redeemed, even if the fights seem constant, even if there's been an affair, even if you haven't felt close in years. No matter how deep the wounds are, you can take a step toward healing them with a Hope Restored Marriage Intensive. 
Our biblically-based counseling will help you find the root of your problems and face challenges together. We'll talk with you, pray with you, and help you find out which program will work best. Call us at 1-866-875-2915. I suppose the most surprising thing about marriage for me was that it really did bug me that the toothpaste cap always came off. The thing that surprised me the most about being married is that my husband stopped being a communicator once he had me. Well, I had no idea that there was a proper way to roll the toilet paper, that it goes a certain way. See, I thought it was just any way, but I found out quickly, no, it has to roll over the top. What surprised me the most about marriage, and it hasn't been that long, I got married in January, is that we didn't know each other quite as well as we thought we did. You really, really get to know someone when you live with them. You pick up on... Um, little quirks and everyone has them and you learn a lot about each other in a short amount of time. Well, how about you? I wonder if there were unexpected discoveries about your spouse after the wedding and uh, how well did you navigate your different quirks of personality and behavior? We're going to cover that today on Focus on the Family, those inevitable differences and surprises that husbands and wives find in each other and especially in those early years of marriage. Thanks for joining us. I'm John Fuller, and your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. I can remember John going into premarital counseling with Jean, and I, I guess the best way to describe it, a bit of blinders, because we thought we were so much alike. And we did. We had a great foundation of faith and a commitment to the Lord. That was common. I think we had other commonalities, but boy, then you get married and you do what the folks were saying in that lead-in is so true. Uh, not to mention the way to keep a garage clean uh-huh. is kind of my pet peeve. <laughs> like it's not the, uh, you know, the throw all the boxes out there and find your way to your car kind of approach. And I'm sure Gene would say, yeah, tell me about these laundry piles that you keep. Because I keep like once used clothes, that's a certain yep. pile. and <laughs> I'm going to use them again. Well, remember and then there's the that. super dirty. You got to get those into the wash. And, you know, so I mean, she's like, I don't understand your system. <laughs> and so... <laughs> This is part of what we're going to talk about today, and mm-hmm. I think most people can uh, relate to that. And our guests today are really going to hit it. And here's what I think. Uh, God put our differences into marriage on purpose, and we mm-hmm. talk about that with some people that really think every day about it, like Gary Thomas and Gary Chapman and others who uh, really have studied marriage. And I think the best line is that we're not alike so that we can become selfless in our marriage and become more like Christ in that process. And when we can focus on that, I think it puts the arguments down somewhat. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you. And Joey and Carrie Stageberg are our guests, and uh, they're going to shine some light on this. Carrie's been on the program before with her dad, Dr. John Trent, and she writes and speaks and coaches people toward healthier connections at home. Uh, Joey's a first-time guest and works as a video producer at Life Center Church in Washington State. And uh, we're going to explore a book that Carrie has written uh, called The Merge for Marriage, Turning Frustration and Disunity into Closeness and Commitment. And you can learn more at our website. That's focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Carrie and Joey, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, we're thanks. excited thanks to be us. here. Yeah, it's good to have you. And uh, let's get started. I understand uh, you both experienced a crisis early in your marriage. It had something to do with the kitchen sink. Well, that's good. I thought it was going to say kitchen knife. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that so it's good it was the kitchen crisis. sink. Yeah. <laughs> but what, what in the world happened with your sink? Yeah. You know, we had been married all of about three weeks. So we were in that really fun, newlywed, fresh back from the honeymoon phase. Life is really good. And I remember coming home and 
couldn't find Joey, so I called out, and all of a sudden this head pops around the corner, and I'm blinded by this light. And I realize, okay, wait a second, my husband's wearing a headlamp. And so I'm like, well, what are you, what are you doing? And he's like, cleaning. Like, it was the most normal thing in the world. And so in my mind, I'm like, all right, did a dog get sick? Is there, like, crime scene? at Like, where are we on the, like, we need a headlamp for yeah. this? And That's pretty interesting. Let's just stop and camp yeah. on this for a minute. Joey, <laughs> Joey, what were you thinking, man? The headlamp on the sink. Well, it was a, it was it wasn't the sink on top. It was underneath, right? So, you know, why are you it even was a cleaning under dark. the sink? So, well, well, <laughs> like, that's an even bigger question. I think there's it some unresolved conflict here. <laughs> Did you take out a toothbrush? Um, there may have been a toothbrush, <laughs> and there may have been some other brushes Okay, involved. good. So yeah. what were you communicating, Carrie? How did it make you feel to know that, oh, my, this guy well, that was That was a the clean moment freak. when I realized I, I had no idea who I had married. Because, <laughs> I, I, I mean, we had, like, just cleaned the house. So to me, I was like, it looks pretty clean. And also under the sink, like, who does that? You just pretend it's not there, right? <laughs> and But really, for me, I started to panic because I was like, is Joey going to now have these expectations of me? Because that's not how I operate. Yeah, no, that's good. And that, boy, that can be the first big conflict Yep, uh, off the honeymoon, like you yeah. said. So what is that merge moment that you talk about in the yeah. book? Merge, well, and marriage. I think really what it is, is it's, it's a moment like that. And whether, you know, for me, it was that single moment where it was, oh my gosh, He's living in my house. He's not going anywhere. And we're going to have to figure out how to, what clean means for us. Um, or whether it's like Joey, where it's a series of moments that merges those moments where you realize, oh, my gosh, we are really different. And so it's good we have you a recognize that. Yep. But we have a choice now. We can either choose to blend these differences and get closer together and have more intimacy in our marriage, or these can drive us apart. I, I would think in most cases, you get stuck maybe for a few weeks, few months, and for some, a few years mm-hmm. in this division, Absolutely. and you don't really talk about it. It's just painful, but it's quiet, and you just go about doing what you have to do. What was your aha moment, Joey, knowing that Carrie uh, needed some encouragement through this struggle? Yeah, well, I mean, Carrie would we'd tend to talk about these things from from time to time. They'd come up, and Carrie would feel in a certain way, and she would tend to, you know, backtrack a little bit. Or, or mildly overreact. Mildly overreact. Or overreact. I like that yeah. description. <laughs> yes. yeah, I mean, that was really nice, but you know, mildly gentle. overreact. Um, and, you know, she almost, almost to a certain degree of, uh, she thought that, you know, I was leaving or, or that we were going to end or there was, oh. we were on the way out. Or this could push you out the door. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. I said, just remind her, you know, Care Bear, I'm not going anywhere. Care Bear. These yeah. these are issues, sure they're going to arise, but I'm, it's not pushing me away. Like yeah. your reactions aren't going to like drive me somewhere and drive me out. I'm you know I'm 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 here. I'm I'm with you. Yeah. How'd that and make I, you feel? Well, I mean, that was what I needed, and I didn't oh. even know I needed that. And I think so often we see this where there's the issue, right? And we get so caught up in managing issues, but there's often something deeper behind those issues and behind those reactions. And, you know, like, for example, you know, it's always the dishwasher for us. I swear that's like the catalyst. If someone could figure out like a self-loading and unloading dishwasher, it would probably help a a lot of marriages. (laughs) But um, we, you know, he would say something super benign, like, 
can you did you unload the dishwasher? And what I was hearing was not, did you unload the dishwasher, but you have failed. And because of that failure, I don't want to, I'm not going to want anything to do with you. And so when Joey paused and kind of looked at me and said, Carrie, I'm not going anywhere. These are just issues. It gave me permission to not have to respond that way because our relationship wasn't on the line. It really was the dishwasher, not our relationship that we were talking about. Let me ask you this, uh, because Gene's similar in that. You know, I I will ask a question not knowing what trigger I've hit. Yeah. I'm going, oh my goodness, what did... What did I say? And I'm not even seeing it as a bad thing. Yep. Something like that. Oh, did you get the dishwasher unloaded? Yeah. And she and hears then, something totally different. Wow. Yeah. I didn't <laughs> yep. expect that. But help us husbands understand that connection. Because yeah. we're not intending to fuel a fire against us. Absolutely. We're just asking a we're question asking a for clarification. Question. Absolutely. So how do we have to start that? And we're very lazy with our words. So if <laughs> you really want to hear is, now I'm about to ask this question. It doesn't mean anything about your self-worth, yeah. your ability, <laughs> yep. uh, right. your strength of character. Yep. But did you unload the dishwasher? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and we may still get a smack. Absolutely. No, and <laughs> Verbally. I, and yeah, exactly. I, and I, I think so often we see that because there are those deeper needs behind what's going on. It's it, And we all have those things, right? We all have insecurities. We all have issues from our past. And I know for me, in my first marriage, if I did something wrong, there were physical consequences for yeah, that. that was and emotional consequences that, yeah. for that. And so I had a lot of fear around doing it wrong. And, and ultimately, mm, right, I had a lot right. of fear that if I did something badly enough, Joey was just going to pull away completely emotionally or relationally. Right. And so I think the first step, and we call this the merge NATO, because you could be talking about the dishwasher, you could be talking about parenting, you could be talking about anything, and all of a sudden you seem like you're in that same spinning cycle, right? And yeah. and you have to first identify why. And for me, it was that I'm afraid, there's a fear there that Joey is going to look at that and say, I'm done. And so when he realized that and was able to address that fear before the issue, I didn't respond that way. Yeah, and I think one thing, too, the caveat, Gene, this is for you. You know, sometimes us husbands can say it with the little hook. Yeah. You know, we don't even hear it in us. You know, we are throwing a zinger. Yeah. But we thought we just said, oh, gee, is the dishwasher unloaded? (laughs) Yeah. That's what we hear. But what we really said was... Did you get that done? Yeah. Why isn't it done yet? <laughs> yeah, yeah right. exactly. So that's that's all fair. Carrie, you also encourage husbands and wives to ask three important questions of each other. Yeah. What are those three questions? Yeah, you know, it's do you value me? And I and really these are based on attachment. And Dr. Sue Johnson and Kenny Sandifer, they're two phenomenal authors. And um, Sue Johnson really has led so many studies on attachment in relationships. And and it's these three questions that really help solidify that for couples. And it's when you can look at each other and say, Do you value me? Am I enough? And are you gonna be there when things are hard? And if you can answer yes to those three questions, you have solid attachment in your relationship. Okay, now that does for the person going, okay, two out of the three, right, or I could say yes to, or, or none. So what what is that an indicator to do? Well, and I, I think we have to start there by saying, okay, where are we with answering these questions? And how can we take some time to address that? And sometimes it really is as simple as making eye contact and looking at your spouse and saying those three things. I, You are enough for me. You know, you're valuable. I'm going to be there when things get tough. I'm not going anywhere. It's it's answering that and looking them in the eye and saying it. And maybe not just once, but continuing to do that. And I know 
it, I think the interesting thing is, is that happens so often in our relationship. Maybe it's one person doing it in a season and then another in a different season where together you can both do it. Like I know when Joey and I were trying to have kids, he was the one that would look at me and say that because uh, I needed it. Right. I was struggling. And now in this season when Joey's injured and is going through all of the stuff as a result of a big accident that we were in, I'm the one looking at him and saying that. Right. And so sometimes, you know, we need to do it yep. together and sometimes mm. you need the other you need to step up and say, "I don't care where you're at. This is how I feel about you." No, that is so good. I'll say him again. Are you really there for me? Do you value me? Can I depend on you? Yeah. Joey, you and Carrie, of course, have different approaches when you're trying to solve problems. That's called being married. Yeah. Uh, but you came up with something called the 24-hour rule. How does that help? Well, I mean, for me as a processor. Uh, Define yeah. a processor. Well, first. someone that, that is not going to have an answer for, well, I wouldn't have an answer for Carrie. You know, she'd want to talk about an issue right from the get-go, and I had to figure out how I felt about it. She's ready to solve it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and so the tendency I had was that you know, twenty-four hours would pass, and we still wouldn't, or I still wouldn't <laughs> talk to her about. I'm still thinking the issue. about it. And so that yeah, that became a point, a merge point, essentially, because we would never resolve an issue. And so the twenty-four hour rule kind of came about because. We had 24 hours, you know, put a deadline on it, and then we needed to revisit it, you know. And maybe, obviously, you know, 24 hours is is the goal, but you know, it would the next day essentially. Yeah. But we'd revisit that issue again, and I'd be able to f- tell her how I felt about it or or whatever reactions I had to it. And so, let me ask you this yeah. practical question yeah. about resolution, because you know, when you do that, that implies that the next day, at some point, probably at Eight o'clock at night. Yeah, when the would kids be, are asleep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, might follow. Yeah. You know, yeah. Let's wait till the end of the day to bring that conflict back up. But what happens when it's unresolved? I mean, you you apply the twenty four hour rule, then you come back together. Now we need a forty eight hour yeah. application. Yeah. That's a great question. So unresolved conflict. What do yeah. you do with that? Well, I think hmm. the first thing really is going back to those three questions. And saying, hey, we might not have an answer to this today, but that does not change how I feel about you. It doesn't change how I see you. It doesn't change my commitment to you. We are going so to we'll figure this out. So we'll just keep working on it. We'll keep working on it. we have and, and I also think that's where Joey and I kind of at that point, if we're really stuck, it's who can we get involved? Yeah. You know, do we need to phone a friend? Do we need to go to the counselor? Who, who do we need to get involved so that we can come to a resolution on this if we're really stuck? I well, just coined a new word, resolution. 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 It's relationship. <laughs> with resolution and to go back to like my earlier thought what i told carrie was like i'm not going anywhere you know from earlier i'm committed to you and even so when when things are unresolved it's still the same as far as my commitment to her and how i see her in in our relationship too even though things in in and a lot of times they aren't resolved because of me right because let's be honest um well you may you just process things differently exactly i mean but that's a lot of marriages one processes one way one processes another and to be fair we make far better decisions when joey has time to process (laughs) that's us fast decision makers problem but but a lot of times too like i know that that bothers carrie that things don't get resolved for the most part and that makes her feel a certain way and what, sure. there is, what, what we talked about. So once again, though, it's like it doesn't matter. Even though it's not resolved, I'm still committed to yeah, you. Yeah, the attachment is the still attachment there. The attachment is still yeah. there. And that know? has and, helped me relax quite a bit because that same fear of, well, okay, are we just going to fall apart or we're never going to find an answer right. to this problem, that helps me go, okay, <laughs> we're going to get so there. So true. Carrie and I look at something as fast processes yeah. and go, red car, good. Yeah. Buy red car. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Who cares about auto facts yeah. or yeah. an so accident true. history? It's yeah. pretty. Yeah. yeah. 
This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Celebrate a lifelong love this holiday season with a special edition print created just for you by award-winning artist Morgan Weisling. A Lasting Love honors the enduring love and generational impact of marriage, which captures a sweet moment between a couple leaving church set in the Pioneer West. See it and get your copy of A Lasting Love at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash special print. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com slash special print. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. You know, Carrie, John Gottman is a well-known researcher. He came out and said, and we're talking about resolving conflict, you know, the merge NATO. Yeah. <laughs> and, but he said only about 31% of conflict gets resolved in marriage. Yeah. That's like a third. What happens Not a with lot. The, what about the two-third of unresolved conflict? Yeah, and you know, that kind of shocked me. We were, we were talking about that last night, actually, because, you know, Joey was pretty blown away by that, too. And the reality is, is it's those differences because we do not see life the same way. And right. you and your spouse do not see life the same way. Right. And so there are going to be those perpetual things that continue to come up because we're looking at things from a completely different lens. You know, I mean, you, you're both wearing glasses. If you just switch glasses you know, you have different prescriptions, you're still not going to be able to see it the same way. So I think for us, really what that comes down to then is saying, well, these aren't going anywhere. So how can we begin to value them? Because we can either get really frustrated or we can say, you know what, God placed this person in my life specifically for a reason. And I need to to value what they're bringing to the table, Mm -hmm. um, even if it's completely different from how I would do it. And, you know, speaking to the couple that uh, one of them is leaning more into the two-thirds of unresolved conflict. Yeah. W- w- you know, how should we feel about that then? I mean, it's yeah. a bit disappointing, but it's actually in one way also encouraging that yeah. most people live in unresolved marital Absolutely. conflict. So how do we relax about it, even though yeah. it may still be irritating yeah. us? Yeah, you know, I think, I think again, it, it does come down to a choice. We do have to choose to value those differences. And and I know Joey and I are in the middle of kind of redefining that right now because he's been in a season where, I mean, my very capable, incredibly involved husband, you know, two months ago couldn't take a shower by himself. And couldn't right, because of an auto accident. Because yeah. of an auto accident. And so right now I'm I'm having to do everything. You know, he's looking at things that need to get done and he can't physically go do them. Mm. And now you have two people with two different philosophies on what clean is or how they would approach something. And he has no control. Um, right. In that regard, let me, yeah. let me ask you this. Um, these couples that learn to tolerate each other, yeah. that's different than loving each it other. It is. Um, they're not really connected or close, but they, they stay married. Married. That may be a majority of marriages. I don't know. I haven't read that research. But you urge couples to work through those differences uh, to the point of valuing yes. each other's differences and make that distinction between toleration yeah. and value. Well, I think the best example I can think of to do that is I, I ended up, uh, I got hired on at this company. I had been there for about three weeks and the head guy calls me into his office, which is typically never a good thing. And he sits down and looks at me and he goes, you're really smart and you're really strategic, but that's not what we hired you for. And essentially the conversation was execute, don't think. 
And I remember thinking, well, I need to start looking for another job. Um, and man, that's strategic. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly. He's, he's, but I, I think so often, and yes, that's a harsh example. But when we're not valuing what our spouse brings to the table, that's kind of what we're saying. Hey, you have these incredible gifts, and I might see them, but when I'm not actually allowing you to use them and empowering you to use them and supporting you and and valuing that, like we're kind of the boss that's basically saying. That's not what I hired you for. That's not what I brought you into this relationship for. And so we've got to flip that thinking to say, okay, God with his incredible intentionality, um, like, like that of a jeweler. You know, when you look at a ring, uh, my, my uncle Matt makes jewelry and we've got to watch him work and he, the specificity with which God has placed us in our relationships is like that with a jeweler. Hmm. It is so specific and intentional. And we've got to begin to value that person sitting next to us, or they're going to feel like we've told them, that's not what I brought you into this relationship for. Yeah. So it, it, it is valuing the differences, Absolutely. which is so critically mm-hmm. important. But, and that's you know, a choice. And it's so hard. Yeah, it is a choice. And it's so hard for us to do because well, our flesh is like... No, not, not think, today. Think yeah. poorly of yeah. your mate, and, and it's and so unhealthy. That's kind of what I was what I was getting at too earlier. Is that I've come to value the fact that in a time like this that we found ourselves, her capacity to be able to handle multiple challenges at one time, she doesn't ca- get caught up in the details of one because she's got twenty on her shoulders. You know what yeah. I mean? And so that's one of the strengths that she brings to this situation that we find ourselves in. Too. Well, it sounds like deep appreciation has grown yeah. in Absolutely. your heart. Yeah, that's a good thing. Uh, Carrie, uh, you trained for a half marathon with your dad, Dr. John Trent, who's <laughs> yes. been on the show many times. Mm-hmm. The first major question is, why in the world would you do that? Well, I was interested <laughs> in a boy. Like, why else would we do anything? You <laughs> okay. know. I was interested in a boy and got roped into running this thing, and then it was the worst, one of the worst decisions I've ever. It was my well, only half marathon, <laughs> and actually, ironically, I ran into my old PE teacher at the finish line, and he started laughing. He was like, "There is no way you finished this." He's like, "I need photo evidence oh that you goodness. didn't just do the last like fifty yeah, start yards." Halfway. That's was, pretty funny. It was bad. So. But what did you learn through that? We can't do things alone. Mm. And, you know, my dad and I did multiple training runs together. And even that day at the marathon, I had my dad's support getting me through. But we had so many people cheering us on from the sidelines. And I think the reality is, is we are incredibly isolated today. And especially in marriage, we can't be. And I know even right now, we were talking about this again the other day. We've had people that have literally stepped into our family and said, we're going to be here for you during this time. Whether it's with food, whether it's with childcare, whether it's with, hey, do you need a shoulder to cry on or to process with? And we cannot do hard seasons alone and we can't do the good ones alone either we've got to have people cheering us on and we have to let people into the mess um they've built furniture they've they've done anything you could possibly imagine they have showed up for they've built furniture well joey yeah. had to get this uh, yeah. exercise bike so he could start moving and so Man, josh is like oh, in, in a desk, desk yeah, you know yeah, like yeah. all these yeah. things but yeah they're i mean they're i don't know how we'd be doing that without merge mates yes and yeah. you need people to help you make the merge you need people to help you get through the good times and the bad yeah, you guys knew not to call me for that one. <laughs> I can't yeah. put anything yeah, there's together. There's a reason we called Josh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's good at yeah. it. Um, you know, at Focus on the Family, we often remind Christian couples that our marriages are a witness. We try to live it that way. We're not perfect in that. Of course, Absolutely. you're going to have seasons of difficulty. Um, but stress the importance of how we, as Christians in our community, 
do carry that banner, that responsibility to show people that yeah. a Christian marriage is good. Yeah, you know, I think you said it so well, it's we're not perfect. And I think we have to be willing to say that. Yeah. Um, Christ is perfect, we're not. And it's through him and through his strength that we're able to work through challenges. And that's what makes it unique and different. And so I think as Christian couples, there's a choice to let people into that and and to be real. I mean, I've gotten angry and worn out more more times than I could count in the last three months. And I'm not I don't love how I've handled that, but I'm so thankful for a God that gives us grace and then says, "Okay, well, here's what you can do to get back on track with loving your family the way that you need to in this season and loving your husband the way that you need to in this season. And and I think that type of openness and vulnerability is what's going to speak volumes to our to unbelievers and also to to believers. I think that's a good place to say thank you. Thank you for writing this. Thanks for your vulnerability to yeah. talk about mm-hmm. it. And again, this topic, uh, this is on the tune-up side of things. You know, if your relationship is in a really bad spot, we have that opportunity through Hope Restored, our four-day intensive for you to call us about that, mm-hmm. and John will give you details. But if you're in that other spot where, yeah, there's just some irritation, like two-thirds of the time, according yeah. to John <laughs> Gottman, um, how do I resolve some of that conflict that we're having? I love the idea of calling it a merge moment. Yep. And thinking about it, give it a 24-hour time so you guys can come together and hopefully under the wisdom of the Spirit of God and be able to resolve those things that aren't working well. I think it's just a great way to do life, you know, and to do marriage. And then you're that witness you need to be. Right. And it all works well. So thank you so much for being with us. And as we always say, if you can send a gift of any amount to help us in the ministry, that's the fuel, obviously, the, the financial resources to make it happen. And we'll send you a copy of Carrie's book as our way saying thank you. If you can't afford it, we'll send it to and trust other people will cover the expense of that. Yeah, and our phone number is 800, the letter A in the word family. That's 800-232-6459. Or you can donate to Focus and get the book at our website, focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. And if your marriage merge isn't merging, in fact, if you're worried about the future of your relationship, we have hope for you. Uh, Through Hope Restored, we provide intensive counseling over a number of days for couples who often feel like they're out of options. Please contact us today and let us help your marriage. Ask about Hope Restored when you call. John, let me also mention the end of year. I know not everybody is excited, but I hope most people are for an end of year matching campaign. That means we have some friends who have uh, literally gotten together. They put a few million dollars together and said we'll match gifts dollar for dollar up until the match Mm -hmm. and so a $50 gift becomes a $100 gift and I hope you take advantage of that Um, it's a playful way to spur on giving to the ministry and oftentimes you know this is 9 to 15 million dollars worth of resource fuel that we just talked about so it's a great way and a fun way to get involved in the ministry and doesn't have to be big 5, 10, 25 dollars it's just a great way to hopefully give us the budget we'll need for the rest of the year. We'd love to hear from you, and our number is 800, the letter A in the word family. Or uh, join the matching gift opportunity at focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.
Is your marriage holding on by a thread? For deep hurt, you need deep healing that only comes from the Lord. And you'll find it at a Focus on the Family Hope Restored Intensive in Michigan. Our licensed Christian counselors will help you and your spouse get to the root of your issues in just three to five days. And it works. 80% of the couples are still married two years after attending. Learn more at HopeRestored.com and talk with a trusted advisor. That's HopeRestored.com.